I feel like we should always hit record just like right when we start, and then we'll just go through all the random shit and just make it an episode. Because mm-hmm. it's good stuff. Yeah, that's what that's what a ton of people do. And then, I mean, we've already missed so much that we've talked about. Right. <laughs> uh, probably had a whole episode. So, uh, what time is it? Yeah, I don't know. Nah, now nah, half an episode, Lucas. Maybe. What time is it? It's eleven here. Yeah, so about half an episode. Night owls. Um, so recession and breeding during a re- you want to know what sucks about this recession everything i mean I, like, I, i'm on a single income during this recession so that that hurts yeah no freaking especially <laughs> everything is expensive yeah everything everything and our food our our everything yeah i don't want to get too deep into it right away well i mean the part that sucks is everything's expensive, but everyone who's selling snakes wants to just sell them cheap as hell because no one's buying them. I I haven't experienced that. I I mean, quite yet, but I definitely have been watching Morph Market, and yeah, I've seen the exact same thing. Um, you know, I think there's like over a thousand Super Dwarf listings now on Morph Market. I think that's like the first time ever. Um, that I've seen that many before, but then again, I don't really pay attention to it that much. Yeah, I jump on there from time to time, but I really only look at the projects either I'm invested in or, you know, projects I want to work with. I'm a, I'm a window shopper now, Morph Market. I know I've... that I like can't get anything else, and so I never message people. I just go on there and I'm like, oh, I wish I had that. <laughs> I am the best lurker when it comes to Instagram and uh Morph market snake shopping. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you have the like ability to not buy animals you want. Let's speak on that because I'm uh, this, this recession's kind of hurting me here right now. Um, you know, I'm, doing the best I can to work as hard as I can, but with the price of everything. And uh, as I mentioned, just being on a single income, supporting all these animals, uh, there's an animal that I put money down on and I'm not sure that I can continue with the payments just that... because, just because of how life's been hitting. So it, yeah. it sucks, but you know, that... you have to, you have to realize what's financially feasible and realistic for you i mean i i could really really stretch and get this animal but it doesn't put me in a good place does it put these animals in a good place and that's kind of what we want to talk about a little bit tonight yeah that is a um like just even making that statement and that honesty behind it but the truth behind just what a recession can bring um yeah it hurts i mean it's a project i've always wanted to work with i'm sure i'll work with it in the future um i still i i mean i'm planning on telling him tonight unfortunately but i still haven't even told him and it's gonna hurt him i'm sure too so yeah it's hurting everyone right now uh it sucks yeah uh for those of you listening thanks so much for tuning in this is episode 37 or 38 don't make uh 38 with uh the live included 
Uh, let's see. I just, I want to. Which I want to yeah, thank 38. everyone for joining us on that live. That was cool. Just all the interaction that we got. I think Lucas and I, uh, we plan to do all of our lives from here on out as a live format. So all of you can join all of in. Our, all of our lives here on out on a live format. Oh, yeah. Well, all of our interviews. Interviews. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, we had a blast doing that, getting to engage with you guys. Uh, I, I always like... I like being on people's podcasts. And the thing that I love the most about it is getting to just talk to people in the comments while also engaging with the host of, of the podcast. And when we got the chance to do that for us, it was, yeah, had a lot of fun, even though it was not necessarily a topic that brings joy, obviously, but just getting to interact and deepen the conversation. What are, what are we doing, listeners. Lucas? This is two, two downer episodes. <laughs> this, so no, this, close this, together no this isn't a downer episode so episode 38 we're going to be talking about breeding during a recession and yes there's going to be a little bit of a downside of this but um there's also an upside to breeding during a recession um we're going to get all into that um so before we jump in any further I want to make an announcement that uh, we're, we're going to try to plug in every episode if we remember. We just got our 500 and a little bit more uh, subscriber on YouTube. Uh, just to remind you guys, share this page. Go ahead and get the word out there to your retic people or people that are interested in getting retics because we are doing a 1,000 subscriber giveaway with VivTech products that equals over $230 worth of products that you guys will get to get for free. We'll draw one lucky subscriber, uh, and then every 100 subs after a thousand, we are going to uh, pick uh, someone, one of our subscribers, to pay for a US Arc membership for. Uh, so go ahead, get that word out there. Uh, for those of you listening, um, would love to get your comments down below in terms of what we're talking about. Um, we, I love reading those. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. So this is a good time. I think just to talk about us arc a little bit more, everyone knows what's going on. You need to stay vigilant, stay talking about, uh, the incident that happened with FWCU. Make sure you're a part of us arc Florida. They have free memberships and memberships starting at as low as $3. So jump on over there. Uh, just Google us arc Florida and it'll give you their landing page right there. Uh, we'll also link it in the description below. Um, yeah, US Arc is just as important as ever as well. Um, but US Arc Florida comes first right now. Yeah, we we mentioned a lot on that live podcast. Um, this is like one of the, I think the first time ever that we as a community actually have ammunition against a government agency uh, for their wrongdoing. Uh, so don't sleep on this. Let's keep pushing and let's keep, um, you know, fighting for the things that we believe in and, and, uh, come together when it comes to getting justice from this. There is a hearing coming up. Uh, I don't have the date on that. Uh, Lucas, if you could try to pull that up, um, but they do have a hearing coming up with the FWC, so if anyone is in the area and can provide an eloquent, eloquent voice to this battle, I encourage you to head down there and be a part of that meeting. I know I'll be watching in, but everyone who will be watching in will not be able to comment. 
So I encourage anyone who's in that area who loves these animals, uh, loves reptiles, loves any animal in general, and has seen this video to go and speak on this matter. Yeah, I couldn't find it. Um, but, uh, so let's go ahead and kind of jump into this. Uh, I, I think that, um, let's start on, on a fresh and positive note. Um, since, you Please. know, uh, so breeding during a recession, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the bad parts about it, but the good parts about it. Um, I really think that, um, it's, it's a really good time to start long-term projects. Um, and the reason why I think that is because, and what I mean by long-term projects, we're talking about recessive, double recessives, or um, anything that is not going to produce like the best uh, outcome in the pairing in just like a single breeding, right? Um the reason why I, I think that it's a good time to do that is because while the economy is down um, and people aren't spending as much money, when the economy eventually turns around, you're going to have those visual animals that you have been working for a long period of time on ready to go. And you don't have to worry about, you know, cutting the price down on that project while people didn't have money to sell the animal or to buy the animals. Recessives always have their value kind of locked in. If you're working with, you know, especially some of these recessives, even like purple albino, or you're talking like the newer stuff, anthrax in super dwarf, or you're talking ocelot, you know, what it, whatever you're talking about as far as recesses and working them down into higher percentage super dwarfs. I think that kind of stuff is always going to have quite a big market. Um, Definitely. I, I think they have a big and, market, but during like this time right now. Um, well, well and it. it's a good time for you to just kind of sit back on animals, raise them up and, you know, yeah, work them into your projects that you're already working on. Yeah. And speaking of like sitting on the animals that you have, I feel like during a recession, it, it it's a good time to kind of like sit back, plan, see what projects that like you might have invested in or that you plan to do to see like what is actually realistic. Um, and I, I guess what I mean by that is, is are certain projects that you are wanting to work on and that you have the animals for, um, are, you can look down and objectively get to like write down on paper, see if these are good ideas that are going to pay off in the long run. Look at the competition, see if anybody else is ahead of you on the project and maybe have the opportunity to sit back and say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't pursue this project. Be or, a part of the community, know what right. people are looking for know what people are wanting to buy i mean do some research yeah gives you an opportunity to kind of sit back and just observe and see what's going on look at pricing of things mm -hmm. uh and and strategize and, and have a plan you should always kind of do that you should have a plan but um, well, lucas do, do do prices just go down and stay down no i mean I, i've i've you know i this is the first time in my my you know 
breeding that I'm going through, you know, that there's a recession happening as I'm breeding and trying to sell snakes. But people that I've talked to, whenever the economy bounces back, it seems like prices tend to stable back out. It's all supply and demand in the end of the day. Need I remind you how much I bought some of my establishing animals for like, you know, two, three, four times less than what they'd be valued at today. So, yeah. you know, that, that is always going to be a fluctuating part of our industry. Yeah. Unfortunately of any industry. I mean, the recession affects absolutely everyone. You know, we were talking earlier and you were making a point on market demand. And since you were just talking about supply and demand, some of the downsides of, of, you know, a recession is that oftentimes oversaturation in the market, uh, because multiple people are breeding similar things, uh, with not a lot of people spending money can tend to, you know, crash some of the prices of animals and you might not have a lot of people looking to buy. And I certainly had a little bit of that scare to this year for sure. Yeah. I mean, a good example is I won't be too specific because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm, I'm calling them out, but, mm-hmm. so. uh, you know, a, a fairly new recessive being introduced into the Superdorf market and heads are being sold like way cheap. And, and again, it's because not a lot of people are spending money out there. You know, when, when demand for something isn't high, especially during the recession, it, it forces people to if you're if you're breeding and you don't plan and don't have the space to hold animals back and that's not like part of your game plan in terms of like holding back a recessive clutch or things like that you know it puts people and forces people to have to get rid of these animals and oftentimes they they drop drastically in price you always have to be vigilant on the projects you're working on making sure that you you know what to price your animals at, especially during a specific time like a recession right now. Um, so, you know, educate yourself again. Yeah. And then during a recession, you're you're, you're probably going to get the people that come out of the woodworks and say they have things that they really don't because they need to move animals and they need to make more money. And um, there's, there's a lot of ugly that can. Oh, uh, are we going to get into that? Right. Oh, the I mean, yeah. Th- yeah. The, the, I mean, there's a lot of ethical concerns, man. I mean, even if we're talking about pricing, like we're talking about people that have invested a bunch of money on certain projects and then someone who isn't prepared for a recession, you know, uh, you know, is, is Mm -hmm. part of that project and they decide to crash that market and completely ruin it, um, during that recession or that goes a lot further than that too. I mean, what if you produce something no one wants, what do you do with the babies? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people's options is possibly culling them. And I know that that's a very heated, debatable topic in terms of what's ethical, what's not. You know, there's like one side of the coin that thinks that if you produce animals, you know, to go ahead and just kill them after because uh, you, you, you know, they're not selling. You know, a lot of people don't agree with that. And so do you do you sell them cheap wholesale to pet shops and just let them go to whoever sees them window shopping that day? Right. Who who's going to get a little aquarium and not be ready for that animal? Like, especially with retakes. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about just our livelihoods, but we're talking about the livelihoods of these animals long term. And I think Lucas and I have bash this horse completely dead but 
we want to know that our animals are making it 10, 15 years down the road. I, I think that when it comes to ethics during a recession, I think the word to use is some people fall back on desperation, right? And they're going to do whatever they can to possibly move animals. Um, and it's not a pretty thing what some people are, are willing to do. Um, you know, we, we can talk about like, you know, private communications in terms of, of dropping prices, things like that, giving deals, you know, you, at the end of the day, a lot of people out there that are selling these snakes do need to make money. I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. A lot of people think that if you are, uh, breeding and, needing an income off of it, that it's the wrong way to look at it. But at the end of the day, I mean, those of you that are opening up an LLC or you have a sole proprietorship, like got to be profitable at some point or else the IRS is going to start asking questions. Again, just a lot of sketchy things are happening right now that I have seen unfold in front of me. And so the good side of the recession is for buyers looking to invest in projects that might have much lower prices right now because people are having difficulty moving. Yeah. So anyone wanting to jump into this and you're fairly new and you're looking for investment opportunities for good animals, now's the time. Yeah, say you're getting your first animal. This is a great time to get your first super door free tick. Yeah. I mean, I saw some of the prices on Morph Market and I was just like, oh, I mean, me that I love pure locality stuff and Kalatoas and yeah. stuff like that. I see some of the prices and I'm just like, why? Why are <laughs> we doing this? But for you buyers, go for it. Like <laughs> full send. Yeah, it's uh, open season. Right. Happy for you guys. Whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart Design. More and more breeders keep showing up at shows on Morph Market and all over socials. Sometimes it may feel impossible to get anyone's attention. Stewart Design helps small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry, but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brand for US Arcs, Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of others well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with retics. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. So, wondering if Stewart Design is right for you? Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level. Maybe you're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows. And maybe you don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd. You want to make your own way doing what you love. You might just have a big idea and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake. Have a conversation with him. To learn more or get started, visit sdidentity.com or call them at 855-SD-LOGOS. Clear brand, own markets, steward design helps create them.
If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cubed Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best looking cages on the market, but also provide amazing features and add-ons to your cages. We partnered with Focus Cubed Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house our animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animal's comfort and well-being. Visit focuscubedhabitats.com for your animal's caging needs. Again, visit focuscubedhabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures. We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retic Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. So one thing that... that... I've, I've even, I'm just going to even throw this out there and make this personal about my business plans and kind of things that I've been concerned and worried about that I kind of just want to drop. And I'd love some feedback in the comments for those of you that are listening, but, um, I, you know, I have an ocelot and I am going to also be getting another, uh, beautiful recessive. That's not really worked into Superdorf stuff. Right. And so Nathan, I kind of want your feedback on this too. Um, okay. So, I, I have a feeling, but yeah, let's go for it. I, I'm in a predicament right now where like I planned to do some Kaiwadi and Ternate head ocelot pairings, you know, um, and then also do a uh, ghost uh, mm-hmm. to a pure superdorf that is tiny. Um, and that would that would cover three pairings. Right, and those three pairings right there, not a lot of eggs, um, because two of the females are, are small and they don't produce big clutches. Um, but the value of those animals being sold in a regular non-recessive market or non-recession market are high-dollar animals, and uh, I do have a concern with the recession that not a lot of people are going to be spending seventy-five hundred. on an animal, even if it is a groundbreaking recessive project in the Superdorf world, because at the end of the day, I'm three weeks away from potentially having that problem. So I know where you're at. Yeah. I I'm just like, so I, my predicament is like, um, you know, and I'm even, so let's talk about one of my ocelot pairings. So um, I plan to pair my ocelot to my Kaiwadi. <clears throat> now, a lot of people here in the U.S. have seen what the ocelot Kaiwadis look like overseas. And they are looking at that animal and they're like, that animal looks nowhere near as good as a mainland ocelot. And it's causing people to start to think that Superdorf ocelots might not be a beautifully visual animal like the mainlands. And 
I think that that mindset of me hearing kind of people through the grapevine and chirping and, and hearing that kind mm -hmm. of is putting me, you know, it, it's kind of creating some of this anxiety. Um, but I, I, I also on it, the other, I, I have, I have one thing to say on that it, and it's just, there hasn't been one produced here. So let's see the first one produced here. Right. And, and that's, that's my mindset too, because if you look at the animals that were paired to produce that visual, right? Um, it was the original ocelot male, which if you look at that original ocelot male compared to what we have here in the US, it has thinner blacks, it's a busier pattern, has way more of the like orange, red undertone, brownish kind of color versus the ocelots that we have here, specifically mine, super silver to the point that it's blue, which is great for super dwarf stuff, super thick blacks, clean pattern, not a lot of breakup. And so I feel like the polygenic traits would actually produce a way better visual when you take babies together. Um, but like, just like, you know, my Kaiwati last year produced 25 eggs. If she has another 25 eggs and people are scared to want to buy that recessive project because of that single individual animal, especially during a recession and with the price of this project to get in, you, you said know, you were also planning to take to Kalatoa as well? Uh, the, the Ocelot? Yeah. Not this season. So um, I'm taking it to... Uh, I have some options. So uh, what I think do I'm planning you, you to go, do... Do you want to go Kiowati more color saturation? I'm trying to just understand where you're coming from in, in terms of that, that pairing. So... Um, Cause I feel like in, in terms of breeding during a recession, a, a head ocelot Kalatoa is going to be the more desirable animal. It will, but I think it also is going to fetch a higher price. Um, okay. I, I like a lot of things about my specific female Kaiwati. But that also, that also is a little bit, um, I'm searching for the word, but it's fighting against uh, what you were saying earlier with, you know, just the long-term play with some of these recessive projects. Right. And so a lot of people might not want to jump on the heads right away. Um, but I, I feel confident about this pairing that the visuals are going to make phenomenal looking animals um, based on the polygenic treatment to my female, that she's a very high silver animal on the sides. Um, and she's got good amount of color on the back of her. Um, I just don't have a cow to a female available this year. My wild cock girl's getting a year, if not two years off. Um, Fair enough with that. Uh, girl. And I also have a pure, uh, a pure super dwarf that I'm going to be getting here. Um, but that's the one that I want to take the ghost to. Um, pure Kalatoa super dwarf. Pure. So or unknown. Unknown locality, she is a tiny, I'm talking about not even seven feet, two-time proven breeder. See, um, and that's that's where it starts to muddy the market, I think, a little bit, is that unknown locale until we can, you know, really pinpoint it down, which it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to, is what I'm, I was originally concerned with, with one of my animals, but it was actually the other animal used in the pairing that yeah. had some of the in question percentages the the way that the way that i see locality and unknown unknown locality superdorf mm -hmm. 
when you're taking these animals into morphs, I I don't I I don't give a shit what the locality is. See, when that's, it comes that's to where I into... that's where I disagree. So I, for me, it's one of those things where if it's an unknown, so like if I have a female Kalatoa, I don't really like in very rare circumstances do I want to take a morph to that female. Um, I'd per, I'd prefer to take a pure to her time and time again. Sure. But what I care about when it comes to morphs is size and the polygenic traits. Because at the end of the day, yeah, what what I, you can see in size, sure, right? What size is important and how it visually looks is really important when it comes to morph. And as long as it is small and as long as it looks beautiful, why does the locality matter? That's my opinion. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, locality does influence the polygenic traits a little bit, so that's where I started to question why you would. Uh, why you would take it to that locality instead of uh, Kalatoa. Uh, no, I, I mean, feel like Kalatoa is, and this is all opinion based, right? So yeah, like, yeah, I know, yeah. I know someone who's heavily invested into Kiowati thinks they're the most beautiful locality. I just tend to disagree. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, we can generalize that certain localities have a specific look and specific traits, and we can utilize that to make decisions based off of pairings. Um, but what I what I prefer to do is rather than uh, having a generalization about what an animal looks like based off of its locality is what animals do I have in front of me that I can pair with the animals that I have in front of me that I think will bring out the best traits. Right? Sure, sure. Um and so, but back to, so that ghost that I plan to produce with the pure superdorf, that is mm -hmm. this pure superdorf. I just think the polygenic traits of that animal for ghost are great. It's high silver, um, good patterning. That's going to be, uh, I think that'll fit well with the, the ghost stuff, but back to I the think it, I think it has a place cause you were asking me about, about it. I think it has a place, the, the ghost recessive project in super dwarf right. i think it's almost like that and it's it's not even that long ago but it almost seems like that forgotten recessive uh project uh some people were working on it with slayer and had some problems with their animals uh just you know health can health issues that weren't anything the keeper could avoid um so you know some of those projects died out in some of the locality animals when we're talking to our super dwarf. So right. I think it's a great project to get into and remind people how great these animals look. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, we talked about it in, in nauseam for with uh Travis Warrior. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So like we showed pictures about how, how bone white those heads can get and just how great those animals can look. And it'll be really interesting to me uh, when we start talking about, mixing the polygenic traits of the size of a ghost reticulated python into a super dwarf right um but the predicament with this recession that i'm running into is what price do i sell heads for right there's no other yeah. head go there's no other 50 percent super dwarf head ghost on the market right now i i think if you really want to run that project immediately you almost have to plan to hold a big clutch a big portion of that clutch back and I do because she's a small female. She's not going to lay a lot of eggs, but 
Um, and that's just where I stand. Like, and this is again, another topic to discuss and Nathan, you let me know what you think about this during a recession, but, um, I feel pretty strongly about this. We can call this Lucas's rant, um, of the episode, but, uh, if you're a breeder, especially if you're, I, I'm not even, this isn't even about old, older breeders because older breeders do this and I think that they're doing it correctly. But if you are a new breeder and you're coming into the scene and you decided to spend a bunch of money on some crazy projects that fetch a high dollar, right? And because what better way than to produce an amazing pairing for your first uh, clutch? You know, I don't, I don't mind that. You know, if you want to come into the scene and you want to start making, you know, Superdors first or Worlds first and you invested in the animals to do that, great. My my problem is is that a lot of these new breeders don't have the infrastructure or they don't have the finances and resources to be prepared to hold clutches back on these high value dollar animals that are creating hets. And then what they end up doing is they cut themselves under from the project and they have to get rid of these hets for super cheap because they weren't prepared to work with a het project in the Superdorf um, and, and hold back maybe 10, 15 animals. Well, go back to our breeding episode. I mean, we talk about preparation and what it takes in terms of producing animals. You should be preparing with the food that you need to supply those hatchlings with for at least a few months before those animals hatch. Yeah. Like in, in my mind, that's bare minimum what you have to do. So, I mean, Beyond that, you should you should be able to sustain yourself and your animals. Otherwise, you shouldn't be producing <laughs> high dollar animals that you essentially have to hold back because no one can buy them. Yeah, I mean, you got to realize that when you are fetching a project that's going to produce, you know, five thousand, seventy five hundred, ten thousand dollar animals, um, even when we're not in a recession, those are special buyers that buy animals that much. You might have more of them, a little bit more of them outside of a recession, but uh, you, you got to plan to hold those animals back at least a year. And those animals are going to grow within that year. And like I said, if you don't, if you aren't thinking ahead, what ends up happening is people are forced to drop prices because they can't hold on to these animals anymore. And that doesn't just hurt you and your investment but anybody else that bought into that project is not going to like you. <laughs> you know, that would be like me spending the money I did on my Ocelot and someone else spending money on an Ocelot and, and them, you know, making 50% uh, Kalatoa, 100% Het Ocelots and they can't sell them and they decide to sell, they decide to sell a single animal for $2,000. I would literally find where you live and choke you. So and rant, but anyways, yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna have those high dollar recessive values, you but either do does that speak to maybe be going beyond your means of buying an animal? You know, stretching and, a little too far to get an animal that's maybe not something that you're you're ready to invest in. I mean, invest within your means, right? Well, yeah. So so like I I mean I invested within my means with my ocelot, but yeah, if someone course. but if someone decided to you crash have a family, the market, you have to. Right. If if someone decided to crash the the Ocelot market because they produced them and couldn't mm -hmm. sell the hats for what they were worth and they didn't 
plan to have to hold back 15 animals, um, I'm still going to kill them. <laughs> um, so just if you're getting into these new projects or rare projects, it's a great time to because you can get visuals cheaper with people selling for less, right? Take advantage of what the people I'm telling you not to do. Take advantage of the people who are doing that. Buy the animals. And then when you produce them, just have a plan to come out with the visuals with, you know, first without having to sell a bunch of the heads, you know, super cheap where now you have a bunch of competition in the the market. Um, yeah, I think I think in our industry, uh, retics especially, I think we saw quite a bit of a reactive market when this recession hit. Um, I think people jumped the gun in dropping prices quite a bit, but we'll see. I mean, uh, I, I am hoping that this is a, a temporary thing. We're not seeing 2008 again, but it's a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I, I really think it was a jump in the gun. I think the market will recover eventually. And it all has. these animals, all these animals that are going for this price buy those females, because in four years, when the market's doing a, quite a bit better and that animal's ready to breed, you're in a great spot. Like Lucas is talking about. Um, speaking about reactive decisions during a recession, let's talk about how it impacts maybe some of those that thought that they were going to get into breeding and make a bunch of money and now they're in their first or second season um and <clears throat> i i have seen quite a few people get out of retics significantly reduce the size of their collection um hey the, this is a time where i'm happy my collection is small right you know my food bill is expensive right now. My food bill is still very expensive, but I am. It could be two, three times that, you know. Yeah, but I I think that times like these are good times to see who is in it for the money and who mm -hmm. really just has a passion to want to keep, enjoy, and breed these animals. Um, I've seen a lot of people. I've only been doing this for five years. I've seen a lot of people come and go over the last two years when things have been kind of rough. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a little disheartening because the only time I've seen prices this low was before anyone knew what a super dwarf was. Right. Or, or <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> We're talking about some people are, you know, some Calatos are selling for only like a few hundred bucks more than when they were freshly imported in 2013. <laughs> I don't know that I'd go that far. We heard some crazy stories with with uh, some of the interviews we've done over this last half year. However, could you, long could you imagine going. buying like a Kalatoa wild caught for three hundred bucks? No, not at all. Uh, so I, it still doesn't sound like it ever was real, right? Um, but hear me out. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty stubborn in terms of like you know how i am with locality and i feel like locality no matter what should hold a value um for for numerous reasons one we can't import anymore and two because depending on the locality it provides a special value and so a lot of people are always talking about like oh at some point calatoes are only going to be like 500 bucks and i'm like i don't think so well I, i'm um, in the same boat i'm i'm just on the recessive side of things. So your locality, I'm re recessive. I mean, I'm heavily bought into the snow project from the very beginning. And, you know, 
I'm counting on that being a desirable animal through and through. I, I'm worried about the snow project only because of a course. bunch of uh, only so many because people. I mean I, no the thing is like so many people have bought into it and they they um I mean it's been that way for a while but what I'm concerned about is that the people buying into it again aren't going to do things respond like how many snow to snow pairings have you ever heard of or seen in your life I think I've heard of maybe two yeah, the only one I've ever heard of was done this year. And that's that is a good way of how to sustain a market for a specific um valuable animal like snow. If 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 all these new people who are buying into the project and they have multiple visual snows and they think that oh, I'm going to produce snow to snow to increase the amount of animals so that I can make the most money, um we're going to have too many snows out there and then we're going to see snows drop in price a lot for the first time. And I don't want to see that happen. I love the fact that snows have just been steady killing the fucking game for like ever. Well, yeah. Anything double recessive is going to have that effect as long as it looks good. Right. But I mean, I haven't seen many double recessives that look terrible. I, I, uh, there's, there's a couple that I'm actually thinking of right now, but, it's just I mean, there's opinion. probably if we sat and thought about it, we could probably think of a <laughs> it's all it's I all mean, opinion based. Um, but I mean the fact that snows, yeah, like we're talking about 25% Kalatoa, 25% Jampea snows are still like three to 3k to 4k. It's like what? <laughs> like that, that's amazing. And I think that goes to the people I that will, got into I, the like I'll never tell anyone but Lucas how much I paid for my snowmaker. Oh geez. <laughs> Don't get me started. And he wants her over there so bad. I I've given him a very good freaking proposition, but that's his baby, so I get it. I will not budge. We 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 comment on the the expense of food during a recession. Uh, so, yeah, that's let, that's one of the biggest thing because what happens uh, when we're not able to sell snakes when everyone's hurting? What does what does the price of food do, Lucas? I mean, it, it goes up. I it mean, goes so, way up, especially if we're talking farm animals that we're feeding our, our snakes. Yeah. And we're going through something a little bit unique in this recession in terms of uh, the cost of goods. The cost of goods ended up being super skewed with COVID because during COVID, the world shut down. Mm -hmm. There was less things being made. And, you know, manufacturers and places are finally starting to catch up. Some are still behind. And so not only are we talking about a recession, but now we're talking about like goods or or like feed to supply for your rodents for the rodent breeders is going up. And all these like, you know, I can't blame the rodent breeders for increasing their prices because their racks are more expensive to build. Their feed is more expensive. So we have to pay for it on our end. And uh, food gets really expensive i just bought almost 500 dollars worth of chicks rabbits guinea pigs or i'm sorry chicks rats guinea pigs and that's probably only going to last me two months i i made let's see i think it was a 250 dollar rabbit order somewhere around there yeah i thought out rabbits and fed just this week and probably went through a little over a quarter of those rabbits. Yeah. So 
here's what you need to do during a recession. Try to look for local cheaper food sources. If you're buying rabbits online, shame on you in the first place because they're like 20 bucks a rabbit. Lucas, I have seen people charging that much locally. So there's there's scam artists everywhere. I mean, it's it's insane. And I mean, I'm sure they have the reason for their price, but well, uh, online it, it starts to feel a little bit more justifiable. You get shipping costs, but when you hear local $20 a pound, you're like, "Excuse me?" Yeah, slap you. I mean, they must be breeding like showbred rabbits and they're like and we're asking them to freeze them for us. <laughs> this rabbit better like kill itself and serve itself to my snake for that price. Like Right. Um, <laughs> Be so clean, like no smell. If... Exactly. I, I think that if you like look for local sources, shop around um, great places to look. If you search like Facebook for your local, like insert your city and then like farm animal sales or things like you're that. in Utah, you Utah rabbit and or yeah, Utah meat rabbits or yeah. something like that is what I use. Or yeah. Utah feeder breeders is what I use to yeah. locate if I think in the past I've even found rats and mice on there. Yeah. Um, I have a source that I can get five to eight pound rabbits or five to seven pound rabbits for only eight dollars. That's like a dollar and sixty something. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. I, I get cheapish rabbits, but not that cheap. Um, and then my other source, who I typically get my smaller ones, it costs me a little bit more, but um, even then it's still a good price. It's like $2.50 a pound. That, that it, it can save you so much money. You can go to food auctions. Some people have local food auctions, depending on where they live, where um, you can go and just buy a large amount of uh, feeders for your animals, um, another tip They have is, whole rabbits? I, I, I'm assuming yeah. live at that point? Um, so I personally have never I, been... I, I've never heard of these before, I, so you're, I, you're enlightening me. No, I mean, this is something that I've heard that people do. I've never okay. done one before, so I don't really know for a fact what that is. Now, part of the game about breeding and, and you know, keeping these animals there are a lot of people that are comfortable with culling their own animals. Um, some people don't like the idea of it. I, I personally avoid it at all costs. Fortunately for me, I haven't had to cull any feeders myself. Um, I'm just an animal lover and don't want to do that if I can find a frozen source. Um, and so I avoid that. But for those of you that are willing to buy live and cull yourself, and again, nothing against that. You know, we got to do what we got to do to feed our animals. Um, you could probably get them. I know the lady that sells me $8 per rabbit for five to seven pounds. She offered them $5 a rabbit if I got them live. Right. So you can probably find better deals that way. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> it's not something I want to do. I've, no. I've done it in the past, uh, unfortunately, with rats and stuff and yeah, it's just, it's an experience. I, I'm I'm all right with not having to do. I'll let someone else handle that for me. Right. And I don't even like feeding live. Like I, I'm more on the fence of like, I know a lot of people that are like, oh, if you have a yeah. hatchling that's not eating, yeah. um, you could throw in a live animal in there. And to be honest, I, I still, I don't even do that. And it's just more of a, I don't like the idea of like 
you know, in the wild, you know, they have an opportunity to escape and, and win the battle and run off with their life. Um, in, in, in a cage, they really don't have that option. Again, I know that for a lot of people, it's a necessary evil that you got to do, but, um, I haven't, I mean, if you're talking in terms of getting a hatchling started, there's options like that where, yeah, you're not given the opportunity to get away, but you're offering like a pinky rat or something. Yeah. That's maybe not of the caloric substance that you want for your snake, but it is at least getting it started kind of a thing. Yeah. And I mean, again, I have nothing against that. I, I, I haven't done that. I have a couple animals that I don't have feeding right now, but the, the Partho Philippines that I have, they're not feeding. They're not getting skinny. I have absolutely zero intentions on offering live. Um, and uh, I know some other breeders that have told me too that they don't ever offer live. And if they don't end up taking frozen thawed, then, you know, it just, they, they just don't, they don't live. Yeah. I, we have to be selling healthy animals. Right. I'm not going to offer someone an animal that's not eating. Right. Um, but in terms of how you can also save costs on food, um, if you have animals that are, you know, if you have superdorf crosses or superdorfs that are, you know, six to eight months and they're, they're about ready for those like chick size meals. Um, but you're feeding them rodents. Number one, they love chicks. Number two, you should probably be offering a varying diet, you know, if you have the financial means to buy alternative food sources like chicks, which are much cheaper. So if you're feeding like um, rat pups or weaned rats or, um, you know, small mice or a little bit smaller than that, chicks are a phenomenal option to save you a bunch of money. I'm talking about a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my snakes love chicks too. They literally, when I'm thawing out chicks and I open up cages or uh, racks, they literally like look like crackheads. I mean, their head, their like heads crackheads on feeding day anyway. So yeah. uh, just really quick, you don't ever want to become the breeder that's so desperate to sell an animal that you start doing shady business practices. And what I mean by that is selling to people who are maybe trying to get an animal where they are not allowed pushing you past your ethics and trying to get a snake out to Florida or get a snake out to New York, New York, anywhere. Yeah. Just it's as much as we would love everyone to have these animals. We have to make sure that we are at least in compliance to where we're sending these animals so that we're not, you know, providing ammunition for any other legislation to come down on these animals. Yeah, without a doubt, I think that, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, just that that desperate times calls for different or desperate measures. Don't don't be tempted. Don't dance with the devil. Just don't do it. You know, I know that you might need the money, um, but you also need your freedom to not be in jail. And if you end up getting caught, you're going to pay a lot more than that snake was uh, bought for. Um, another thing that I think is part of like ethics and things that we need to consider, cause I know this is like something for me that I, I got to process in my head and just remind myself. But when you're a new breeder, you want to breed everything that's ready to breed. You're excited to do it. And oftentimes like just because you have a female available to breed really got to consider if it's the right time to 
have a lot of clutches in a year. With recessions, less animals are bought because people have their own individual struggles. Groceries are more, uh, people's property taxes are going up, interest rates on things are going up. And so it hits their personal wallet. And when their personal wallet is hit, hot commodities, remember a snake is a commodity. No one needs them. We don't need them. Um, so they start to prioritize life expense expenses over snakes. And if you're breeding every snake that you have, just because you have the ability to do it, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot by overproducing, limiting production. And, you know, can this phantom clutch that four people just produce, can it wait? More than likely it can wait. And for me, I know. Not in my case, Lucas. Yeah, but you're not overproducing. You have one clutch. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of what I'm producing, too, like, yeah, a lot of people are producing phantoms. Are they producing phantoms from the producing seventy? Are they, are they, yeah, exactly. are they producing 75% Superdorf purple phantoms? Are well, they? it won't be 75%, but they'll be coming from that 75% female. I think 68% oh, okay, something like okay, that. Okay, 68% purple phantoms. Get out of here. That's an animal that needs to be produced. Um <laughs> What I'm saying is like, do you, should you breed every animal that you have because you have the means to when, when, you know, there's clearly similar animals out there that aren't selling. And well, I, I have a great example of that. Even with that same bloodline, I have the opportunity to really push that annery girl and get her to breed. If she doesn't want to naturally do it on her own, like throw a cycle and like totally refuse food for a long time. I'm not, I'm not pairing. Right. I, and it's just because I can wait on her and she's six, almost seven years old at this point. I could have, I could have run her a couple of years now. I get excited for wanting to breed what I have that's capable of breeding, but this is the first season here in 2023 that, um, I'm looking at animals and even though they don't need this year off, they're sitting the bench. I don't need to have 85 animals or 100 babies in my garage when people aren't buying a lot of retakes. And this message also goes to you, um, people that are breeding on a larger scale. The worst thing that you can do for the Superdorf market that is super hot right now is produce 60 clutches in a single season. And, you know, again, I only see one outcome of that in a recession, and that's drastic price decrease and that hurts everyone and that's only because you thought you had to breed that many animals you know what you do is your prerogative but we're an industry as a whole all of us need to be very much aware of supply and demand and understanding that sometimes sitting a year out with certain animals is sometimes the best thing to do for your investment you know a lot of new people are making investments uh and they've been waiting and they're wanting to see return on money and all of these different things. And they want to come out the guns with a bunch of clutches. But sometimes the best thing to do to secure that investment is to just wait for a better time. Yeah, truly. I what? mean, it, enjoy your animals. We've said this so many times. Just enjoy your animals. It's not always about the pairing. It's not always about the babies, even though that's a really fun part of it it's a really rewarding part of it it can be financially rewarding as well but 
realize when it's feasible and realize when you're pushing things too far. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on like what are bad? Um, you know, what not, I guess not bad, but like what are some, in your opinion, what are some projects that are a little riskier to do during a, a recession? Uh, something I wouldn't run personally would be a lot of like tiger in the super dwarf stuff. Um, I love tiger. Tiger was one of the first morphs I had to have in my collection. Once I could find a small enough one. Um, is there room for maybe a really high percentage tiger? Sure. Right. Like if you're going to get that up to like 93.75% or throw in some other morphs or some other recessives or hets for recessive, then yeah, you're talking about a somewhat desirable animal, but still like, I think that one's a, a tough project to run right now. Um, and any of the, any of the codom stuff, yeah, uh, can can be a little tricky. I mean, there's obviously Kodom stuff that's going to be more flashy than others. Like, um, I mean, Golden Child still holds pretty well if you get a really nice Golden Child, but you know that can fluctuate too. Yeah, I, I agree. Like single Kodom type of projects, because half the clutch statistically is going to be a normal, right? Mm -hmm. And what that ends up doing is is that's one of those things where um, you know, we're seeing, uh, you can go morph market. Now you you'll see a single codom. Let's use tiger or platinum. For example, you, you can find a 75 percenter of those right now on morph market during the recession for like 600 bucks when literally people invested on that same percentage, like a year and a half ago, invested like $2,500. Let, let me give you an example. I think even when, uh, we were doing decent in the economy um uh, this was two and a half years ago or so um my tigers in my high percentage super dwarf clutch were selling less than some of the normals it's one of those things where you know single codons and having the normals from that and having the morphs that are you know even in the 75 percent range are starting to drop dramatically in price because you know there's there's a lot of them out there so um mm -hmm. Those are the type of pairings that, you know, I personally would kind of stay away from. Um, Any others you want to add? I mean, really, it's, it's mostly... That, like, my... pop out? Tiger was the biggest one that popped out to me. I mean, for me, it's really any of the codoms that have been around for a hot minute. Let's Let's talk about super dwarf stuff, though. So, so no, that's the codoms what... that... Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm talking to. So like, a, a, a platinum, a tiger... A motley. Well, that's I where mean, I Phantom, disagree. Phantom, I, think, Phantom, even, I still think Phantom. platinum still can hold their value a little bit. I think motley. Uh, I'm not a fan of motley, but I know other people are, and I feel like they're I holding their value probably better than, say, a tiger or a golden child, maybe even. So, hold on. But that's not a project I'm invested in, so I'm not, you know, watching those. Please pause. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking because I found, oh man, the prices, man, a lot of these that were 
that's lame. A lot of these that had really low prices now say please inquire. Um, but I was looking on Morph Market, so I could. I was looking on Morph Market, so I could actually pull up the. Free Lucas listing. had his ammo ready to go. I, I really did. Um, but yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. So single codons really for me, um, unless it's something that is like, if you you're have making, to remember too, Lucas, it's tax season. Which would give me a reason that prices shouldn't be crashing right now. Well, why do you think maybe that change from that low price to please inquire is what I'm saying? Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's uh, okay. We're trying to, we're really trying to just like squeeze out every buck of people. I like that. I mean, try oh, to good. adjust the market. I mean, in hopes that the market is adjusting itself. It's hopeful thinking. I mean, I again, I firmly believe for those of you that the recession hasn't scared you away, you're not selling out, things will balance and level out. I still heard you burp. Um, don't care. Things will balance. Things will balance and stable out. And usually the economy comes back stronger. Animals get back to that price, if not better. Um, so keep hanging on. Remember why you even got these animals in the first place. You know, just reconsider if 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 you know food costs is a lot and you don't have breeding plans or you know, might not be a bad time to think like, do I want to work with this specific morph? And, you know, could I sell this animal to someone who would use it to a good home? Um, and, but at the end of the day, I feel very, very strongly that the market is going to get back to a strong and steady state. But while it is at a low state right now, it is up to you as a breeder to breed responsibly so that you can maintain the financial integrity of your animal yeah what did you say we're on episode 38 mm -hmm. lucas and i have told you 38 times at least <laughs> at least if you're not in it for the pure love and passion that you have for these animals this this isn't for out. you this isn't Get for the you fuck out of you. love your animals we'll see you next time take it easy everyone